Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tarot Esoterica, Episode 5. My name is Laurel, and I'm branded online as Loracular. This podcast series is just me talking about basic occult symbolism and metaphysical philosophy with tarot cards in mind. Today's episode expands upon the four classical elements and addresses other ways the same concepts appear in tarot decks and tarot literature. Last week, I talked about fire, air, water, and earth, and I used the word tetragrammaton. In Greek, tetra is four, and a tetragram is a word with four letters. The tetragrammaton is a specific Hebrew name of God. Hebrew is read from right to left, backward of English. The tetragrammaton has four Hebrew letters, yod, he, vow, he. Now, those who follow Talmudic Jewish tradition do not say this particular Hebrew god name out loud, nor do they use the proposed English transcription forms you can look up in Wikipedia. They substitute other names and titles of gods that are less sacred to them, less encompassing. Out of respect, I do not verbally invoke tetragrammaton as a god name in my practices either. In the Western occult tradition, in Kabbalah with a Q, the Tetragrammaton is considered to be the divine form of the four elements. Yod is Yang fire, first He is Yin water, Vow is Yang Yin air, final He is Yin Yang earth. The mythic metaphorical truth is Yod the father and He the mother begot Vow the son who was wed to He the daughter and by this act or union all of creation came to be. This is a very simplified version of a very old piece of Jewish mysticism, but it is a piece of Jewish mysticism that was infused into Western occultism by the likes of Eliphas Levi, the famous French occultist who incorporated tarot and the tetragrammaton into the ceremonial magic system that he began to create in 1850 and made public by publishing a book in 1854. There will eventually be at least one podcast about Magus Levi, but for now, the only thing I'm going to add is that his earliest two-part work, Dogma and Ritual of High Magic was translated into English by A.E. White as Transcendental Magic, Its Doctrine and Ritual in 1896. This was during what I would call a good era for the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which was founded in 1887. So it was just nine years old at the time A.E. White published the translation of Levi's work. The Tetragrammaton appears on the wheel of the Wheel of Fortune card in the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, with each of the four letters directed towards one of the four Carabic beasts, which appear on both the Wheel of Fortune and the World card in that deck. And the Carabic beasts are basically yet another symbolic way to express the four classic elements. So, you will often read in tarot books that A.E. White sometimes intentionally sabotaged how accurately occult symbolism and associations were presented in the Rider-Waite-Smith deck to preserve certain occult secrets only for those 
formally initiated by him and his. I'm pretty comfortable in saying the Wheel of Fortune card is one of those cards where he intentionally had Pamela Coleman Smith paint some associations inaccurately, but that's okay. Only occult nerds like me would even notice. The metaphors and symbolism of just the cherubim and the sphinx and how that applies in the major arcana is definitely worth a future episode all its own. For today's chat about the elemental modalities, it's most useful to know that the eagle face is associated with fixed water Scorpio, the lion face with fixed fire Leo, the bull face with fixed earth Taurus, and the human face with fixed air Aquarius. I will be writing lesson eight of my text-based esoteric lessons this weekend, and I will be doing it specifically on the Rider Waite Smith Wheel of Fortune card and everything packed in there. So if learning more about all the images and symbols drawn in the RWS Wheel of Fortune interests you, I would check out my website theloracular.com around the end of the month to see if I've gotten that published on schedule. Here in the podcast today, I want to jump back into the Kabbalah. This is just a very simple introduction to the four Kabbalistic worlds. I will talk a lot more about them when we get into the Tree of Life glyph proper, and I will introduce all ten Sephira and start talking about the pips. I am likewise mentioning the four core Jungian cognitive functions of feeling, intuition, thinking, sensation today, but only in passing. Kabbalah and Jungian psychology are two very different approaches to the same basic concept shared by the classic four elements. This concept that's shared by all is that reality or how humans perceive slash interact with reality can easily be divided into four distinct different modalities. The four elements are one way to express quad-shaped reality, and these are simply two more, and all of them show up in esoteric tarot. I'm borrowing from what is presented as the most conventional way to make these following associations by Bill Whitcomb in his book, The Magician's Companion, and Robert Wang in his book, The Kabbalistic Tarot. Carl Jung began to influence thought within tarot in the early 1930s. The Rider-Waite-Smith, Thoth, and Bodedex were drawn pre-Jung, so this part has been applied by more recent generations of readers and occultists than the Kabbalistic Four Worlds, which got brought into tarot lore during the Levi era, about 80 years before Jung. And keep in mind that neither Jung or the Kabbalah became virtually the mainstream topics they are now until the 1980s. I just added a conventional Kircher-style tree of life glyph with the four Kabbalistic worlds on it to my website under the Tarot Esoterica page there, so it can be looked at for reference while people listen. I'm personally a very visual learner. 
for a spelling of Kabbalistic words. I'm trying to opt for the conventions more typical in Jewish mysticism than Western occultism, but you will see the same words spelled a dozen ways across the internet, and all are as correct as another. Some Hebrew letters get translated into English letters in diverse ways, and I can't promise I will always be consistent in how I publish Kabbalistic terms, how I spell them. I keep going back and forth on what I like best. Now, I want you to picture the four Kabbalistic worlds stacked on top of each other like pancakes, and I'm starting on top and working down. Atzaluth, the world realm of emanation, is associated with Yod Fire and Yang Yang, all the most dynamic and most energy force traits. Atzaluth is often called the realm of archetype. Last week I made a comment that true Yang and true Yin existed only in Atzaluth outside of material reality. Pure idea, nothing substantial. Mysticism pushed gently aside, Atzaluth is the reality of transcendental experiences and metaphysical concepts. It's what our imagination cobbles together and houses what we visualize personally and collectively as divine and sacred. It is the warehouse of our unprovable personal and collective beliefs. It is the realm of faith. Everything in Atzaluth is intangible. Whitcomb associates it with the basic Jungian function of feeling. I like to think of it as our collective unconsciousness, but I'm the reader of pop psychology, and so what that means to me doesn't necessarily correspond exactly to what Jung intended it. In Kabbalah with a Q, Kabbalistic Tarot, Bria is conventionally associated with hay water. It is the world of creation, and I like to picture it as the cosmos spreading so far and wide above and beyond, but containing our solar system and our planet Earth. Internally, Bria is the part of us that starts to process duality, starts to identify things as good or bad, as mine or yours, as love or hated, any kind of value pair. Whitcomb associates it with a Jungian function of intuition. Bria might be where the different parts of our psyche, the persona, the shadow, the anima slash animus, and the self are all created and stored. It is a deep, dark, mysterious world realm. Yetzera, the world realm of formation, is conventionally associated with vow air. Whitcomb associates it with a Jungian function of thinking. Yetzirah could also be called the world of perceptions and information because it is all about the stuff we're constantly processing from what we see, hear, taste, touch, and smell, and what happens inside our brains as we're processing and reacting to the information we're collecting from all our senses. I picture it like a computer network or a bustling city where every building is a library. Asaya is the material world of hay earth. This is our body and the physical reality that exists to be seen, heard, tasted, touched, and smelled outside of our body. Whitcomb associates it with the Jungian function of sensation. I associate it with everything that has a physical form. 
Time for one of my hopefully entertaining personal stories. When I was in college and a young wife and mother, I shared an apartment with a roommate we all called Skullboy, who grew up to become Michael Osiris Snuffet, the occult author of three books now, I think. We lost touch uh, about a decade ago because I was a very flawed and introverted human being at the time, and he was kind of in the same boat. But way back before then, back in college and right after college, Michael was my tarot and occult study partner. And I'm pretty sure he was the one who created this analogy I'm about to use. So I'm giving him attribution. If this came from a different source, my bad. Asaluth is the realm where you conceive of the idea that you would like to sit down. Bria is the realm where you get a picture in your head of what a chair would look like. Yetzirah is the realm where you gather your tools and supplies and start building your chair. Asaya is the realm where the chair is complete and you can sit down anytime you like. As the suits go, Atzaluth Wands is all about having ideas and being motivated to do something with them. Bria Cups is when you start expressing what you want and why you want it to others. Yetzra Swords is when you start figuring out how to get what you want and dealing with the obstacles that stand between you and your desire fulfillment. And Asaya Pentacles is you standing there with your new treasure or completely beaten up and defeated watching someone else carry the treasure off. As pips go, Ace through Three are associated with the first three Sephiroth Trinity in Atzel. Four through Six are associated with the second three Sephiroth Trinity in Bria. Seven through Nine are associated with the third Sephiroth Trinity in Yetzirah. And Tens are associated with the root Sephiroth Malkuth, which is the physical world of the Saya. And this gets us to the end of episode 5 of Tarot Esoterica. Next week, we get to those court cards, and I delve into how they associate with the four worlds within the four worlds, and how each associates with one of the 16 Jungian personality archetypes. You'll hear me talk more about what those four Jungian functions mean as I talk about the eight functions that they evolved into. I will also briefly touch on the differences between the Thoth and Rider Waite court card naming conventions, so you can expect next week to probably be a longer podcast than my norm, probably about a half hour length. If you really like Tarot Esoterica so far, please let me know and spread that praise on your social media platforms. I don't accept tarot clients at this time, and everything I write is free to read and even borrow as long as you attribute me as the original author. Doing stream tarot lessons and chatting about occultism with anyone capable of following a basic code of conduct a couple nights a week has been put on hold until a new stream platform called Altair.tv launches. And you can find out about those amazing people at their website, Altair.tv. It's named after Altair the Star. You can also catch me on Twitter at Tlaracular, but be warned. On Twitter, I get very opinionated, very goofy, and unapologetically political. 
So until next time, celebrate your unique Eunice. May the world do good unto you, and may you do good unto the world. Music